Welcome to BIO, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. BIO is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm BIO member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. On each episode, we'll talk with a biographer about his or her work. This time, former teacher and writer Ray Anthony Shepard. His book, Now or Never, 54th Massachusetts Infantry's War to End Slavery, published by Calkins Creek in 2017. First-time biographer Ray Anthony Shepard spent several years documenting the lives of two African-American men who uniquely served as newspaper correspondents during the American Civil War. Who were these Union soldier reporters? Well, Shepard talks about the background of the men known as James Henry Gooding and George E. Stevens. He is a second-generation freeborn African-American living in Philadelphia. James Gooding was born in uh, Burn, North Carolina, and when he was eight years old, his white father, his father was a shopkeeper in town, purchases him, brings him to New York City, and places him in the colored orphanage on 42nd Street and 5th Avenue. So, what about his mother? Uh, mother was still remained enslaved, and he never saw his mother again. Never? Never. Huh. Um, wow. And in fact, one of the poems I included, I put a line of the book in where he talks about, if my mother only knew, he wrote poetry as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's raised by... Quaker uh, women here on Fifth Avenue till he comes of age, and then he ends up in New Bedford, which is a Quaker community, and for six years, he's on whaling voyages. He's always reading, um, and when he comes back, the war is going on. He's active in the anti-slavery movement in New Bedford, and after the Emancipation Proclamation, when blacks are allowed into the army, he enlists. The War Department decided sometime in February that Massachusetts could have a black regiment, and on February 14th, he enlists. February 14th, 18... Mm-hmm. 1863. 63. Mm-hmm. Now, we're talking about Gooding, and, mm-hmm. and you said James, but I also yeah, said... Yeah, it's, it's James Henry Gooding. It's James Henry Gooding. Okay. Yes, right. and I think in the book I refer to him as Henry Gooding, and that's how he referred to himself. His father's name was James Gooding. Okay. And he dropped the James part. Did both of them act as war correspondents for mm-hmm. a paper? Yes. And how did that come about? Because, okay. I mean, we're talking about African-American men right. who were correspondents writing about the Civil War in the 1860s. Yes. Massachusetts was the only state taking black soldiers. It takes 1,000 men to make a regiment. There are only 280 black men of military age in the whole state. Recruiters went out all over They came from every northern state. They came from Hawaii. One poor guy was from Africa, had just happened to be here in the United States at the time. He enlisted, and they came from Canada. A lot of fugitives had moved to Canada. They came back, a highly literate group. And so Gooding, who was active in New Bedford in the anti-slavery movement, when he enlisted, the newspaper publisher asked him to write war dispatches 
for the New Bedford Mercury, which was an abolitionist newspaper, mm-hmm. which meant that his audience were mostly white. Okay. Where Stevens wrote for the Anglo-African newspaper, which was the leading black newspaper in the North, outlawed in the South, and more popular than the Douglas's North Star. And um, you can see in the book, I try to capture the different tones that they have. Stevens does not suffer fools. Gooding is always trying to put a positive spin, you know, and he will never say a negative word about the army until he becomes so frustrated he sits down and, and challenges Abraham Lincoln. But most of his behavior is we're going to vindicate the foul impression that we are not men. You have some really rich detail about both Stevens and Gooding's mm-hmm. personal lives. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, their relationships with their wives yeah. and, and other family members. How did you come across that kind of information? Well, fortunately, and, and I, I give credit to the scholars that I relied on, uh, the scholar that transcribed Stevens' letters and, and Gooding's letters, that was the information that led me to... Uh, more information. One of the things I also did in addition to archival research was I did physical research. Uh, I was at every battle site. I marched the parade route in Boston that they did. I was at Olesti. I was at Adair in Georgia where they burned down the town. I was at Andersonville. I visited uh, Gooding's gravesite to help me be able to see the scene. Um, there was an incredible number of books that I read. Uh, at the Houghton Library and the Massachusetts Historical Society to get information. So that's, that's where it came from. And how long was your research process? Uh, you know, I could be kind and say a year, but I was writing and, and researching at the same time. And th- this is my first book, and I had no idea what I was doing, to be perfectly honest. So it took many, many rewrites. Uh, so it took me three years. My youngest daughter looked at the book and said, it took you this long to write this? <laughs> but <laughs> yes, <laughs> it did. But okay, that's interesting because once you've done the research or as right. you're researching and writing, um, how do you know the direction you're going to take? Well, basically I wanted to tell the story from the Emancipation Proclamation to the, the, when the 54th was mustered out in September of 65. So that dictated the narrative arc. And I wanted to give kids an understanding that, you know, they're taught Emancipation Proclamation in slavery. No. Emancipation Proclamation was issued as a threat against the Confederates. Stop your war and you can keep your slaves. You have 100 days. They chose not to, so he declared slaves were free, but the only way they could be free is by escaping to Union lines or Union soldiers capturing plantations. No one stopped and said, hey, Lincoln said you're free, go. It took 800,000 lives to do that. So again, kids and history teachers, secondary history teachers, misunderstand the Emancipation Proclamation as freeing the slaves. Mm-hmm. Okay. This book mm-hmm. is for young adults. Yes. It's a YA book. Yes. First of all, 
it's a book for, and I say this, whether you're in eighth grade or your eighth year in a retirement community, it's a book for 12 to 80 year olds or 12 to 90 year olds. And one of the things going on in young adult writing right now is 55% of young adult fiction is read by adults, less so for nonfiction, but I would say it's good 25, 30%. And it's because in 100 pages, 200 pages, you tell a story that adult biographies spend 500, 800, 1400 pages to write. So the book has been read by adults and young adults. I chose it because I'm a former eighth grade history teacher uh, and also I spent 30 years in educational publishing producing textbooks. So it's, it's the only thing I knew. <laughs> <laughs> basically it. <laughs> well, the narrative is, is really engaging, and it doesn't feel like you dumbed it down. No, you, no, no. Yeah, you definitely no. explained right. all of the complexities of what these men were going through, but, you know, you did it in an engaging way. Yes, and, and that's what basically tried to do, tried to tell a story, tried to make the people real. You know, when we teach, when slavery is taught in 5th grade, 8th grade, and 11th grade American history, it's always slavery. It's not what it was like to be enslaved. You never get down to the individual. You never get down to the pain of what that was like. And as I say and often in my book talks, we teach slavery as an example of American exceptionalism. Even though we had 400 years of evil, we produced Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and all oh, that guy who did something with peanuts. And we've got all these superheroes. So I wanted to give kids and teachers, I should just say readers, a whole different perspective. So, okay, so in that regard then, you talk about the struggles that mm -hmm. the men who enlisted and then fought with right. the 54th uh, Regiment. Right. Um, could you talk a little bit about what some of those struggles were? Sure. And specifically how it affected Gooding and Stevens. Mm -hmm. Okay. What you have is the 54th fought two wars. They fought the Confederates, and on New Year's Day when Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation was being issued, Jefferson Davis, uh, the president of the Confederacy, issued his own proclamation and it ran in every newspaper where there were large black communities, and it read, Negroes found in arms to be hung immediately. Mm -hmm. And so war is dangerous for anyone, but for black soldiers it was double because you were either going to be re-enslaved or executed. And when Gooding is captured and the officer, a Confederate officer saves him from being shot, He's taken to Tallahassee and then on to Andersonville, but he's stripped of his uniform. He can't be a soldier. There cannot be such thing as a black soldier. He's a slave in rebellion. Mm, wow. So that's fighting the South, fighting the North. One of the reasons why the War Department is calling for now for black soldiers is that 100,000 Northern white men are in their grave and enlistments are down. So suddenly, two years ago, you couldn't, but now we need you, all right? And we need you so much, we're going to pay you just like if you were white. We're going to give you the same uniforms. We're going to give you the same equipment. So on May 28th, 
They depart from Boston. In June, they arrive in South Carolina. They're behind enemy lines now. And suddenly there's a rumor. They really shouldn't have the same color of pants. They should have red pants because they go, it goes better with their skin coloring. They shouldn't have these infilled rifles, which were the, sta- you know, the top weapon at that time, capable of killing someone at 600 yards, because they're not intelligent enough to fire a musket. We're going to give them pikes. And what's a pike? A uh, spear. Seriously? <laughs> yes. I'm not making this up. <laughs> okay. They're going to give them pikes, six-foot-inch poles with blades. And the Confederates have these infield rifles, right? So you're going to charge <laughs> with spears. <laughs> oh, we said $13. That's what white soldiers were making. $13 a month. We made a mistake. It's really $10. And we're going to deduct $3 for your uniform. $7. So Stevens, who's a soldier, uh, sergeant, gets $7. His white counterpart gets 17 Gooding, who's a, a corporal, gets seven, and his counter, white counterpart gets 13. And the rationale is, well, when we really wrote this, you were supposed to be in the Army as laborers, not as soldiers. So Stevens yeah. and Gooding then are very much a part of, we're not going to accept the $7. So Governor Andrew in Massachusetts, who feels he was tricked by the War Department because he had promised the same pay, he persuades the the state legislators to make up the difference. So a year later, they make up the difference, and the men refuse. They will be treated as equal soldiers by the War Department, or they will not accept. Now, here's where Gooding disagrees, and... He writes the governor and says, hey, this was a mistake. They didn't understand. But Stevens, you know, he just feels he's betrayed. He becomes very hostile towards Lincoln, for, towards the Union Army. Um, Gooding, again, very seldom says anything negative. What eventually happened? Well, some were executed for protesting and eventually, though, there's enough pressure, they pay the soldiers uh, even and the back pay the same rate. This, in my mind, is the first civil rights victory because they get equal pay. Um, they have suffered. Many of them died. Gooding died before ever getting paid. Uh, his widow did get paid, but he didn't. Um, families back home were dependent on charity, on churches. Children were put in poorhouses. They suffered. Because this protest went on for how long? 18 months. Wow. You can imagine, you know, you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and suddenly there's no paycheck. Mm-hmm. And there's no such thing as Social Security or whatever. There's no federal support. And Massachusetts gave support to the Massachusetts family, but they couldn't for Stevens' family, who was from Pennsylvania. And most of the men came from outside of Massachusetts. Was there anything that surprised you as you started to bring all these elements and all your research together? You know, there's this concept and psychologists use, black psychologists especially, in terms of uh, the John Henry complex. And that is, 
we'll work ourselves to death to be accepted to achieve. And that's what 180,000 black soldiers were doing in the Civil War. You can trace this willingness to prove that we're human, that we're deserving, to the point where we'll overwork ourselves. And that, that's what came out of that. You, look, you can look at Frederick Douglass's life. You can look at Ida B. Wells. You can look at uh, Harriet Tubman. And in, in many ways, you can look at Obama. And that's not a negative Obama statement. So yeah. what advice would you give to any other aspiring biographer who wants to write for a young adult audience? First of all, you just have to focus on storytelling. Um, how, do you, how do you engage a reader? And how do you put readers in the scene? In every scene, I try to shape it so that the reader feels they're, they're in the middle of it. Now, it doesn't mean because I tried that I achieved, but sometimes I did. The other thing is, you can't give up. You just cannot give up. You, I don't care how many times you get rejected. This book was turned down 27 times. You just don't give up. And you keep your butt in a chair and you work. Like I say, I'm um, uh, overnight success, 75 years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, there are some things you have to explain for a young reader. The 54th marches out of Boston singing John Brown's body. Well, if you don't know who John Brown is, you don't understand the significance of that. But you can't do a sidebar, a long sidebar, explaining John Brown. You've got to be able to really give them the pertinent information without distracting from the story. And here's Ray Anthony Shepard reading from his book, Now or Never. 54th Massachusetts Infantry's War to End Slavery. A somber stillness settled over the island as a group of weary black soldiers huddled on the beach. Then they rose, capped their rifles, fixed bayonets, and waited for their moment. And it came in a command that all expected, but no one wanted to hear. Forward! echoed through the regiment. The men bit their lips and moved towards Fort Wagner. It was about 7.45 with darkness coming on rapidly, but each soldier knew that rifle and cannon fire would soon light the evening sky. Stevens set pace for B Company as they moved toward Wagner. Gooding, with his rifle high and bayonet shaking, moved as ordered. This was the moment they wanted, to get at the throats of treason and slavery and prove that they were men and soldiers equal to other men and soldiers. But under the snapping red Confederate flag with its 13 stars, hundreds of soldiers, some of them just boys, waited with ready rifles and eager fingers. The editor of the Savannah Morning News and designer of the Confederate flag told readers their flag would be held by the civilized world as the white man's flag. The riflemen set their sights on a slender white Union officer waving a sword 
and a black soldier running beside him with the stars and stripes, but they held their fire and let them lead hundreds of sprinting black soldiers and a sprinkling of white officers closer and closer. The gray-coated soldiers inside Wagner could not know the difficulties the blue-coated men below had faced for the chance to charge. Their right to be soldiers questioned, their courage doubted, their pay docked. But on Saturday evening, July 18, 1863, the 54th Massachusetts Infantry charged into the mouths of cannons to erase the past and shape the future. Thank you. That was author Ray Anthony Shepard reading from his latest young adult biography, Now or Never, 54th Massachusetts Infantry's War to End Slavery, published by Calkins Creek in 2017. Ray Anthony Shepard's reading and interview were recorded during the Biography International Organization's annual conference held in May 2018 at the Leon Leafy Center for Biography in the City University of New York's Graduate Center in Midtown Manhattan. You can read more about bio on our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. Enzo De Palma created our theme music. And until next time, thanks for listening and have a great day. Bye.